if you're listening to this at home, <laughs> not if you're listening to this in the car. If you're listening to this at home, get like a, if you got a bottle of whiskey or something hard like in the cupboard, get a glass. Every time we spontaneously can't stop from quoting the movie, you take a shot. The Incomparable Podcast, episode 111, October 2012. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and our topic in this episode is going to be one of my favorite comedies of all time. I picked it in our movie draft a few months ago. Um, you might ask the question, if you've got episode 110, where can you go from there? And the answer is, you can go that extra little bit to go off the cliff, just turn it up a little bit more, and you have episode 111. And we go to 11 now to talk about This is Spinal Tap, the fine uh, mockumentary directed by Rob Reiner from 1983, I believe. And here to join with me in discussing this fine uh, piece of work are Andy and Ico. Hi, Andy. This is Mark number one. This is Mark number one. Isn't this a lot of fun? That's right. I went obvious. Hi, Jason. So if I'm Nigel, you can be my David St. Hubbins, and that makes Ben Boychuk... (laughs) Our very own Harry Shearer, <laughs> or would you prefer to be Viv Savage, the keyboard player? No, I want to be the lukewarm water <laughs> to this creative <laughs> That's right. collaboration. That's good. That's no, good. No, 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 should, should, should we pause the recording so you can go off and get a cucumber and wrap it in foil and you know, do what you need to do? <laughs> I, I already did. I it's a zucchini, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. zucchini because a cucumber <laughs> would be bumpy and suggest a level of disease that a zucchini does not. Well, you, you think that well, the, the good the good idea of having a cucumber down there, especially with the heat and the moisture, is that you'd wind up with a pickle later on. Fair enough. Because <sighs> as as you know, the catering is just it's, it's just a shambles. You know. Oh man, there's so much here. Now, it, what, one of the amazing things about this movie is that this is uh, this movie was made before Rob Reiner made. The Princess Bride, um, but in those two movies, and we've covered The Princess Bride on a previous podcast as well, um, two of the most quotable and quoted and referenced movies <laughs> of all time. And when I watched This Is Spinal Tap back uh, for this podcast, I was shocked at just how many uh, references I hear on a regular basis and make on a far too regular basis to This Is Spinal Tap. So I, I, you know, I would like to sort of just walk through it and 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 talk about it as we do when we talk about different movies. So this is Spinal Tap. Uh, we're introduced to it by Marty DeBerge, played by Rob Reiner, a fine documentary filmmaker who is walking as he introduces the movie to us. He's walking through the most complicated and nonsensical uh, movie setup ever. <laughs> it's got every piece of movie equipment known to man, lighting some unknown scene there at one point is my favorite there are there is a a series of ladders that are set up in order as to as if to create i don't even know what a pyramid of ladders (laughs) um and and from that we get the uh, the sense that this uh turns out sort of hack director has has stumbled upon a uh a story in the life of this uh this this rock band spinal tap um and i since we're talking about Marty DeBerge because he he kicks this movie off, the story is that people thought this movie was real, which completely blows me away because as I watched the first 10 minutes of it, I thought uh, other than the the heavy metal fans that they interview at the beginning, it is so clearly not 
I guess I guess you know I think the thing that sells this movie as as being real is the are, are the songs that and the performances of the, of the songs because those yeah. are real and and the songs were you know they're originals and they're the sorts of songs maybe that you would get from a band like this and the the, the actors are performing those songs for real and I guess that goes a long way because. A, a lot of the rest of it is so crazy that it just can't be real. But but with the songs, whether they're um, overdubbed, which they are in some parts, or whether they're performing them live as they're doing uh, in one of the sound checks and in a couple of the interviews, you know, it, it's real. And I guess that goes a long way. Yeah, that, that that's something that a lot of these like mockumentaries kind of don't really they really doesn't work because the reality of the story they're telling is that this is a rock band that had a huge success uh, 15 20 years ago they're definitely or, or 10 10 20 years ago 15 years ago they're they're on the wane but they can still like bring in a crowd and most mockumentaries would be well let's get like stupid songs that just don't work people who just can't play the fact that they are decent musicians they can really play this stuff not only does it sell that idea but also you sort of get another layer in where you figure out that oh, okay so they're good musicians they can really play and they can compose good songs their problem the reason why they never made it to that next level is that they just have absolutely no taste whatsoever <laughs> they, they they want to do these really stupid songs about bottoms and sex farms and let's do a song about stonehenge it'll be all like it'll be their huge masterpiece it's, it's just this is this <laughs> yeah, and every, it's like every song. Every song that they write oh is God. like the doodle on the cover of anybody's Trapper Keeper when they're fourteen years old, <laughs> and and a boy and in puberty. That's every single song that Spinal Tap does. And and they're all they all sound like you know we've we've heard those songs uh, by other bands for real that were completely straight and uh, uh, perfectly um, sincere in their in their you know in their juvenile you know, sexual, uh, longings. Um, I mean, uh, you know, the, the one thing that after I saw this movie, uh, for the first time, which was probably in, I don't know, 1985 or 86, I had a hard time taking, uh, going to concerts and not laughing at some of the <laughs> antics on stage, uh, because they were exactly the same. And apparently, I guess uh, when I'm, I was doing a little bit of reading beforehand about this and I, I didn't realize how many, uh, rock and rollers watched this movie and either didn't get the joke um, or were or were uh, the first time or um, were sort of shocked and appalled and, and said this is they, they made a movie of us uh, you know this is all this is this is like our, our lives so one of the one of the things that's amazing about these songs um, and you're right I saw this movie for the first time on video in uh, after having heard about it and it being famous uh, I think maybe right before i went to college or right right when i started in college and um and i remember literally being on the floor pounding the floor and crying <laughs> with laughter as i watched it so it was it, it was not overhyped it lived up to the hype it more more than did that but when you talk about the songwriting i mean it is that perfect combination these are songs they're reasonable songs they're actually catchy and it's not just that they're juvenile but it's the it's the they they come across as being written by somebody who thinks they're being really, really clever, yes. and 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 yes. they're not. Uh, um, when my, there, there is a fine line, fine line between uh, <laughs> stupid and uh, stupid. clever. With uh, this is Spinal Tap, starting with Big Bottom, right? With Big Bottom, 
Let's get it out of the way right at the beginning. There is nothing subtle here, and there's nothing clever here, and it's and and it's painful and yet incredibly catchy. Incredibly catchy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's like it's like there's there's so many of those song, songs where it's like it's 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 like springtime for Hitler <laughs> from the producers. I have to remind myself that I cannot be singing this song aloud while I'm taking my walk. No. <laughs> <laughs> if we walk through from the beginning, I mean, uh, we are introduced right away to the band. Um, we get uh, uh, David St. Hubbins on lead guitar, Nigel Tufnell on lead guitar. Nice, right? <laughs> why Why have one lead guitar when you can have two? Uh, Derek Smalls on the bass, Harry Shearer. Uh, and then there's a keyboard player and a series of drummers, turns out. A series <laughs> of drummers. Um, and... The first, uh, let's see, the first uh, thing after the after the opening number. Well, the first, there are interviews with a bunch of real fans, and that is that is a real aspect to this. Is the 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 lady who says, "Well, I feel like you know that you were musically connected with the band." Real person, actual person. You, you can't make this stuff up. But then we, the, but then the movie launches with this party that is kicking them off on their American tour, right? And and this is that moment where I think, how did anybody think this was this was real? Because it's because we get uh, Fran Drescher as Bobby Fleckman, who says her name again <laughs> and again, and then they put up the title that says her name, which is just a stupid joke, but it's great. And this has got the mimes are, are serving food, and and it's inexplicably Dana Carvey and and Billy Crystal who and they end up with one line each, and I imagine there's an entire thing with the mimes that just got completely cut out because this movie was famously I think five hours or so in running time. At, in its right. first edit, and then they ended up cutting it to ninety minutes, which is not unlike uh, any documentary, right? You're gonna find the story as you go, I, especially since this was so. This was improvisational, and they got great people who knew how to really. They they stayed in character the whole time. This is something that I really didn't like from the later like Christopher Guest mockumentaries, where you could tell that these are people who are dying to say something that that they hope is going to make it into the final edit. And so there, you can buy, you can get like the, these extended DVDs that have like hours of additional footage, and I so encourage you to seek it out. I, yes. I, I wound up buying on eBay. Criterion yes. did the, the version that had, I, I it seems like every scrap of footage that, that ever was even considered for a net. It was like five hours for the bonus stuff, and I paid like a hundred and forty dollars for it on eBay or something. And oh man, just broke it open and watched it for five hours straight it is that good so yes you yes you're right there is there is backstage stuff between the two mimes i have i have the <laughs> i bought the um criterion dvd the mgm dvd and now i have the blu-ray uh and all of them have <laughs> some slightly different stuff on them the most notably is the criterion dvd not only does it have a raft of footage uh, that's that's cut from the movie although there's some stuff that's on the mgm dvd that isn't on the criterion but most of the good stuff mm. Uh, including a scene that I'll argue is as funny as anything in the movie that we can get to in, when we talk about Bruno Kirby. Um, it, it, it's also got <laughs> yes, it's also got a commentary track that is by the actors mm-hmm. out of character, and and the the more readily available now DVD has got them doing a very funny in character commentary track where they're complaining about how this is such a a hack job by Marty DeBerge and <laughs> it, it puts them in the worst possible light, and it wasn't really like this. You can tell. He's he's just taking the piss. He's taking the piss again. But um, yes. but the original is great because you you got them out of character talking about how they made the movie. Um, and it's got all these amazing just miles and miles of uncut or, or of cut footage <laughs> that is uh is absolutely crazy. Um, 
What else is in this? Uh, there's a uh, Patrick Mackney is in this scene as Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg, <laughs> founder of who was who was knighted for his creating Hogwood, a <laughs> hey, summer camp for pale young boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief! Uh, what else? What else is in this? This uh, I mean, this is just bad bad puns. We meet Bobby Fleckman. He makes the and so tap into America, and everybody's like, yay. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to go well. <laughs> and, and also, now we, now we 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 have like experience with like marketing people and PR people. Wasn't Bobby Fleckman so familiar to us? There's that one person who's like at like the industry party who wants to make sure that someone meets someone else, and when a joke is made, wants to make sure everybody knows that joke was heard and appreciated. But, oh God, it was so great. Hi, Bobby Fleckman. Bobby Fleckman. Um. What? What? And then right after this, we get Bruno Kirby right driving them in the limo. Um. And Ben, uh, being from L.A., one of the pleasures of this movie, because I know you're you're from L.A., is realizing yeah. that every single thing in it was shot in L.A. and it's doubling for in every LA, city yeah. in North America. And when they're in the limo driving, right. I took great pleasure this time in just watching out the window at all the things that are not in New York City that they drive past <laughs> as they do it because it was it's all it's basically downtown L.A. I, I, I mean they shot most of it in a yeah. couple square blocks of downtown. Every time I'm down by the by LAX, I. I look around and 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 I'm like spinal tap, spinal tap, spinal tap. It's like that's Atlanta, that's De- you know, it's Detroit, that's New York City. It's all just <laughs> until they get finally to L.A. at the end of the movie. Um, but Bruno Kirby, just such a bizarre character, um, and he he again, we know most of his stuff got cut, um, but he still has this wonderful thing where he where where they're reading. Uh, I think I think uh, is it Derek? Yes, I can. Yeah. Is reading. De- Oh uh, yeah, Derek. I, oh, Derek. Yeah, I think Derek is reading. Yes, I can. By uh, I, I, I actually, I believe it's. I believe it's name? one of his groupies that, that's that's reading. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. By Sammy Davis Jr. and and that that leads Bruno Kirby, the uh, the, uh, the the limo driver who's sitting up front with uh, with Marty DeBerge, the director, uh, to talk about his favorite scene in Yes, I Can by Sammy Davis Jr. involving Frank Sinatra, and it turns out that he's a an obsessive Frank Sinatra fan, and this leads. Uh, the band to just roll up the window between them and the and the driver so that they don't have to listen anymore. And he gets very upset because they're not really showing proper respect to Frank Sinatra. And this right. rock and roll thing yeah. is a fad. It's, I, I wouldn't tell them that, but this <laughs> it's just a fad. But in the cutscenes, there is a fantastic scene, and this is what I commend people if you can find it. And I believe it's actually on the Blu-ray, uh, but it was originally just on that Criterion collection version uh where bruno kirby i believe is is he delivering pizza to the hotel room he comes up to the hotel room that they're staying in and they get him high they 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 give him i think they just give him a joint and they and but he they get him high and um and there's literally a smash cut smash cut to to in his underpants and his his black black little underpants singing singing my way my my way into into a pizza crust (laughs) that he's holding like a microphone (laughs) and and what what part of what sells it is that now like everybody in that room in that scene 
is like oh. laughing and falling down hysterically out of character because yeah. now now it's Michael McKean, now it's now it's Harry Shearer who cannot believe that Bruno <laughs> Kirby is killing it this bad this this. And well. the last thing he does is he he says to them, "Now that's music," and then passes out. That collapses, and that's it. That's it. Absolutely great. Great. Per- it's sad that it's not in the movie. I understand why. Somebody in the chat room pointed out that if you look at the unedited version, all that footage, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it goes on forever and it's lifeless. And I, I actually agree with that. I think that them cutting it down, there's a very short movie. It's 90 minutes long. Uh, you know, I think it, the reason it's a classic is that they were ruthless. There's a, there was a whole subplot about their opening act. Uh, who yeah, was going right. to beca- ends up being more famous, and it's a it's a band it's a it's an all girl band, and that's why the migrating uh, herpes sores on that's Derek right. and and Nigel that you know which have now been taken to be like well you know were they sharing somebody are they gay lovers whatever it was like well no it's the yeah. subplot about this band that was entirely excised from the movie, so it's great that it's ninety minutes long, but this is one of those scenes that um, that is it's worth finding it because it's just so great. And I understand why they cut it out. And I, I don't think a five hour version of this is spinal tap would actually be uh, a, a better movie, it, but uh, they did definitely, there's some gems in there that they cut out when they were finding the story. There was a, there's a much longer version of the scene in, just in the limo where, where uh, Bruno Kirby is going on at some length about, Frank Sinatra's life and I, I a lot of this stuff is on YouTube by the way I'm sure um, and it doesn't and the, and the longer scene with because I watched it the other day after I rewatched the movie and it um, uh, yeah it's not as good um, it's not as tight I mean you can understand why they just wanted to riff um, at, at length because they got a lot of great stuff out of it but um, uh, and, and also that the, the subplot with uh, the dose was the name oh, that of, band, of the right. band, yeah? Uh, and uh, there's a there's like a 17 minute cut of that on YouTube, and the footage is not very good, um, or the quality the quality of it's not. They're very going good. up while Spinal Tap is going down, and and in in the end, it's I think not only more plot than this movie really required, but yeah. it's I think its own little pleasure to watch Spinal Tap go down i don't think you really need to contrast it i mean other than when they run into howard hessman in the in the kansas city holiday inn or wherever they are and and uh and he's obviously a megastar who's past he's gonna sell out the enormo dome uh no he's he's the he's he's the the manager right right the megastar won't even talk to them but he's the he's the manager right so that that's all you need. I mean, that tells the story. Do you need this kind of they're going up while we're going down kind of plot at all? And do you really need that kind of a plot in this movie anyway? It's clear that Spinal Tap and their audience is becoming increasingly selective as it goes on. Yeah, the it, the the key part of that scene that they that they kept in is you can tell that they've got their glass their dark glasses on. They're trying to be inconspicuous because they remember what it was like during those four months of the late nineteen sixties when they were being chased by 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 the public and they couldn't. Then everyone was hassling them for autographs. But as soon as they see the, these girls from the other end of the corridor, so like, oh my god, it's you! Uh oh, here it comes, here it comes! And they're gleed. They're they're so thrilled to be recognized, but no, they run right past them because they recognize the young rocks. Young rock star. When people talk about this movie, they talk about Spinal Tap being this legendarily, uh, you know, uh, bad heavy metal band. And uh, I mean, the way 
uh, Marty DeBerge puts it at the very beginning is that they're well known for being one of England's loudest bands. That's their that's a claim to fame is their volume level, not any other proficiency about them. But when when you watch the movie, it, there's a much more cutting commentary about them that I think people don't talk about when they talk about this movie, which is that they are brazen rip-off artists they're basically chasing whatever genre will be the most successful for Mm -hmm. them and this doesn't you know it's very easy to think back about spinal tap and think of them as this heavy metal band but we see i mean starting with the fact that they're going to be the the originals and they have to change their name to the new originals because there's already a band called the originals but then we see they've got the listen to the flower people where they're where they're the uh, where they're the psychedelic band. They've got give me some is it give me some money when they're the Thamesman and the Ed Begley is yeah. drumming and they're they're uh, they're all clean cut in that version. Right, and, and so you see as as you go that they are you know shameless in changing genres to find a hit or you know um, which I think. I think that gets lost, and I think it's funny. Now, what what's funny since then is that now they're kind of locked in as being viewed retroactively as this heavy metal band, and the, the guys in the movie have gone and played lots of live dates as Spinal Tap. But one of the jokes about Spinal Tap is that they just have no they're they're frauds in essentially they'll do whatever and play whatever kind of music. And the fact that this heavy metal this rough heavy metal band that's doing Sex Farm and Big Bottom is the same people who did listen to the Flower People. And give me some money is ridiculous. Well, that doesn't that kind of underscore the idea that the only reason why they're in the, in the rock and roll is to get get teenage girls. And so, even though like they're now <laughs> at, 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 during the during the movie, they must be what in their early thirties, maybe mid thirties. So they're, they're they'll always be playing whatever style of music that teenage girls go to concerts for. Right, and their and their uh, their their audience is entirely teenage boys. Right, because the 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 young women are are terrified because they have armadillos in their trou- trousers. Exactly. Drink. <laughs> don't, don't mind if I do. That's good. That's good. Well, they at the end uh, they talk about we don't want to be you know in our mid forties still doing this. This is our opportunity to um, do something different and all those projects that we <laughs> talked about doing with our lives. Uh, which of course is immediately <laughs> changed by the fact that Sex Farm is on the charts in Japan. So so yeah. much for that. If if they can still make money doing this 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 racket, they'll just keep on doing it because that's that's really you know that's really what they're about is do whatever they can to keep to keep on going. Well, because they 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 the, the the secret to the group is that they just will have never progressed beyond age twenty, and that if. It, 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 whereas any other band or most other musicians, there's a point at which they realize that oh, for God's sakes, I'm 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 basically barely scratching out a living. I can barely get an audience together. I'm having no success whatsoever. Like finding like fi- building something that's new in my own. I should sort of give up the dream a little bit. You know, play guitar on the weekends, but find something else to do with my life. No, these people are always going to be doing that same thing so long as there is any chance they could maintain this illusion that they are a a successful rock band they're going to do it if that means going to going to Japan they're going to go to Japan i wanted to talk about musical styles one one last point i wanted to make which i i uh while watching stonehenge um that that uh somebody in the chat room was saying how they they're not that knowledgeable about about heavy metal and so some of the jokes didn't you know maybe maybe went over their head i'm not particularly knowledgeable about heavy metal um, other than just sort of in general the stereotypes of it, which 
for me worked just fine. I know I've heard some of the famous stories, the scene where where the uh where they're complaining about the large cold cuts with the small pieces of bread is a <laughs> reference to, you know, endless stories about different musicians, writers and getting upset that there are, you know, only brown M&Ms or no brown M&Ms or anything like that. But the one reference that I that I get now that I didn't get the first time that I saw this movie is uh is Stonehenge uh, you know, people people say Spinal Tap is a parody of heavy metal, but you know, listen to the Flower People is not. It's a parody of a different genre. Um, uh, Give me some money is not, and Stonehenge is a prog rock. You know, really with all the makeup and the that they're wearing oh, and yeah. the and the set, it's Genesis. You know, that's a that's a Genesis or <laughs> Peter Gabriel era Genesis or other prog rock band from the from the mid seventies that they're doing there. So it suggests that they also tried that avenue to see if they could make that work, and that didn't work either. So they went back to Sex Farm, uh, and and it's great. And having having heard more of that music now than when I first saw it, that the Stonehenge scene is a little bit more resonant because I can laugh about the pretension and, you know, the costumes and the makeup and all of those things that those bands that, you know, your Genesis and King Crimson and bands like that did in the seventies. So that made me laugh on another level than the, just the very small person who might've crushed the very small statue. (laughs) There was something that, that I wanted to mention that, um, Maybe, um, you know, before they go to to Philadelphia and ride in the limousine with with uh, with Bruno Kirby, um, you know, they're, they're, throughout the movie, there are these these, uh, you know, you, when you made the point before about, um, you, you know, depicting their decline, you didn't need to contrast it with that subplot with the with the other band that was rising. I mean, there are these little things throughout the movie. And before they go to Philadelphia, uh, you know, uh, um uh, Ian Faith, their manager, comes to them and says, "Well, we're not really going to saturate New York City. We're going to go to Philadelphia. Right, right. That's a real rock and roll town, um, and and that's the first of several such references oh throughout." They, well, the, the film. and the classic being, I was in Boston uh, last week, and, and and literally walking down the street with uh, with uh, Dan Morin and 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 Philip Michaels and 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 uh, we made that very reference that you know it's don't worry, it's not a big college town, not a big college town. <laughs> this, we should do I'm this for out of booze. We should, we should do this for every episode. I love this. <laughs> we should. Well, was it that? That'll that'll be it. We'll we'll, we'll it's like Pee Wee's Playhouse. We'll do a secret word. <laughs> Remember, every time you hear the word "sticker," drink real loud. <laughs> uh, my my theory on Spinal Tap is is mostly that they really did stop developing. It's not so much that they're chasing after all kinds of new directions or that they're always three or four years behind. I mean, so, uh, part of it is just that they try to live in this moment in which they, they, they in which they 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 will always be able to maybe maybe get. 300 maybe 500 people inside a group uh, inside a venue they can oh, they can maybe support maybe a tour of five or six very carefully chosen venues and i'm not sure if it's declining so much as this is the bottom this is where they wound right. up and this is this is this is the point at which the the bus is moving so slowly that they can either continue to ride the bus at four point five miles an hour <laughs> and get nowhere, or at this point they can safely jump off the bus and go someplace else. But they just choose to keep riding that slow. Right, bus. and it's the question that they're, you know, is it is it bad necessarily? You know, I think it's a good question that that is Spinal Tap 
just becoming more selective. I mean, it's such a it's such a funny line from Ian where he's trying to paint a good picture about the fact that they used to be able to fill arenas and they can't now but there are lots of musical yeah. artists that th- I mean this is the curve of musical artists it isn't necessarily that they go from being big hits to uh, residing in the where are they no- where are they now file right. ding ding like, like, ding uh, yes that's oh, a ding uh, thank, you, thank you <laughs> sorry. Or, or is it or is it that you end up at that at, it's the feeling like well we used to be big and now we're we're small. Small can be good if you've got. I mean, there are lots of musical artists that do really well with a very small audience. But there is this feeling like, are they really small or are they just done? <laughs> well, that's it. well that that that's a good commentary on what uh, what it's like to be a musician today and what fame is really like. Where if you were to talk about uh, there, if, the, the, the 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 pinnacle of success and fame used to be Charles Schultz and Peanuts. Everybody on the planet would be able to know who knows who Charles Schultz is. Those few who maybe don't, they know who Snoopy is. They know Charlie Brown. They know the concept of pulling away the football at the last second and the security blanket. That kind of every single newspaper, city newspaper has that that strip and everybody has heard of it. Now the pinnacle of success is something like the oatmeal or something like player versus player where I was surprised. Uh, this was just uh, three or four years ago where I was talking to like five or 600 people uh, and just as an experiment, I said, well, how many people have heard of Neil Gaiman. I'm thinking there is no writer more famous than Neil Gaiman. And out of 500 people, which is I, I admittedly diverse uh, in age, out of 500 people, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen raised huh. their hands. And yet, he, and it, he, by every measure of success, he is immensely successful. So maybe if if they remade this movie today, or if they decided to do another sequel to Spinal Tap, they could do a thing where they're still filling just they're only filling like thousand seat clubs, two thousand seat clubs, but they're playing like two hundred. Gigs, uh, gigs a year, and they're making lots and lots and lots right. of they're, money. They're like Jonathan Colton, right? They, they've got they've got their right. audience, and it's not a huge audience, but they're they're famous in their little in their little area, whatever. It is, if they can find that, and that's the question I have about Spinal Tap. Watching them right. in the movie is, you know, and, and that's sort of I think basically what happens at the end is, well, no, there is still an audience somewhere for Spinal Tap. There will always yeah. be an audience <laughs> somewhere for them, and but they're never going to be big. But maybe. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't matter if they've just got the, uh, that more selective audience. They might be okay doing county fairs. I mean, look at some of these these groups that are doing county fairs <laughs> oh, yeah. now. You think, my I, God, how is that possible? I passed a chance to see Journey at the uh, at, at the local <laughs> county fair, and I feel really bad about it. That's that's the that's the only thing that I the only positive thing I see coming from this widespread uh, casino gambling that uh. all these rooms that now 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 is here. If, if, Eddie if, Money if, has a gig. Eddie Money, Greg <laughs> Kin has a place to play. Yeah, flock of seagulls. If they can find two more people to replace the two people who went into life insurance, and I very specifically I, asked for it to be Neil Gaiman and Puppet Show. <laughs> Okay, we'll give you that. <laughs> there you go. There you I go. love the um there's a great bit that really is like a Saturday Night Live sketch that is Rob Reiner reading fake uh brutal <laughs> uh reviews of their albums right. to them. Uh and and it's such a wonderful couple of minutes because they they mocked up these fake album covers including <laughs> Intravenous de Milo, which is like a <laughs> statue with with uh an IV, IV bag like, hanging. Like the, with the arm oh my be. god, <laughs> it's so great, and it has it has the uh, the classic. And you can also, if you watch the reactions, here's a key in this movie: watch 
watch don't watch the person you're supposed to watch watch everybody else because it was largely improvised and there are so many moments where they're laughing and you know they're just laughing because it's funny and not because the character would laugh and they try to cover it up and in this scene rob (laughs) reiner is killing them desperately treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and there's in the gospel according to spinal tap where where he said on what day did god Ah, create spinal tap and couldn't he have rested on that day (laughs) but the the pinnacle And as a journalist, I find it especially fantastic is when the shark sandwich review is simply shit sandwich. To which they can't say <laughs> that. Yeah, that. No, no, that's no. Not they can't say that. Oh no, no, no! It's impossible that that would be. Uh, you know, you're just you're just making fun of us now. You made that up. That's not real. But it's so great, and the and the cover of Shark Sandwich is great because it's a sandwich with white bread, except the top of the sandwich is like the top of an ocean, and there's a shark fin, and it's so terrible, and it's so funny. So I love that. That that's a that's a great bit. But if you watch Christopher Guest, you'll see that he's dying during that. That whole thing, because <laughs> they're all they're, they're all hearing these for yeah. the very first time. Because Rob Reiner kept them secret. Yep. <laughs> so we should talk about the cover. There's an ongoing plot about the cover of "Smell the Glove," which is the new album that's going to be coming out from Spinal Tap. As this movie, they've recorded it and now they're going to tour to support it, but it's been delayed because the big um, the big record stores don't want to handle it because the album. It, it features a woman on all fours, a grease, a grease naked lady on all fours with a chain, wearing a dog collar, <laughs> with a chain leading a man's hand that has a leather glove pressed into her face to make her smell it. You don't see that as offensive. This is 1983, for God's sake. Well, you should have seen the cover they wanted to do. <laughs> well, what, what's what's the what's the problem with it though? <laughs> well, compare well. Compared to, uh, I, I, you know, we were around during the early 80s. We've seen album covers. The, 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 the problem is that, like, Spinal Tap is not a huge band. <laughs> the, problem, the problem is that if, if, you, if you are, like, Motorhead or if you, if you are, uh, like, Guns N' Roses at their apex of their selling power, well, of course, this is a line. They could, they could have, like, shoved it right down their throats, but no. <laughs> They're at the point where they have to they say, say that what Rick Flame or whatever, who's the guy that they meet in the hotel lobby that his last out al- his new album is yeah, he was he was tied down to a table with all these all these uh, these, these but naked women he was women, the victim there like, so it's totally different yes, uh, yes. Du- it was duke oh, fame, duke fame. okay thank you duke, duke fame. Fame. fame thank you very much yes and but some people say that the original cover of uh, smell the glove is uh, sexist but i say what's wrong with being sexy what's wrong with being sexy sexist <laughs> those of you t- t- tuning in this is not wait wait no. don't tell me <laughs> when when Spinal Tap made their big comeback in 1992, I um, got a, a press pass to go cover their drummer auditions at the Los Angeles Coliseum. <laughs> and um, it was kind of sad because there were all of these, I mean, there were hundreds of, you know, aspiring professional drummers lined up there. And that thing turned out to be total BS because, I mean, there was just... You know, basically, it was a gimmick to get a lot of people out, and they ended up using a lot of um, a lot of uh, more famous drummers on their tour to, you know, as guest appearance. You know, Mick Fleetwood was one. Um, but um, I got to sat, sit with the press, and um, uh, you know, I was still in college at the time, so I had no compunction about um, uh, behaving slightly unprofessionally. And I uh, went and got all their autographs. And, um, but, but when I, <laughs> I put the, uh, the PR photo in front of, um, 
in front of Christopher Gaston, I, and he signed the thing, and I said, there's, there's nothing wrong with being sexy. And he looked at me, and, and it wasn't, it, he had this most bewildered look on his face. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, it was, it wasn't like the look of somebody who was thinking, ah, oh, Christ, this is the 400th time I've heard this. It was more like, what are you talking about? Um, uh, but anyway, there is nothing wrong with being sexy, and uh, and uh, that's how I got uh, Spinal Tap's uh, autograph. But um, did they did they sign it in character? Oh yeah, they did. No, but uh, but for years I thought that um, uh, the that um, cover the the cover that they were discussing that that was so controversial. I thought it was supposed to be based on um, there was this notorious cover um, uh, of an album the Scorpions put out. Um, called Virgin Killer, um, which had uh, a, 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 basically a naked underage girl on it, and nobody in the United States was going to carry it um, uh, if they had it that way. So it was replaced with just a picture of the band. Um, but then I read today that it was supposedly based on uh, a, a different album, a White Snake album that I had never heard of called Love Hunter which features a naked woman sort of being assaulted. It's an illustration of a naked woman being threatened by a giant uh, cobra. <laughs> a, white, a white snake, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And so, but there's got to be, I mean, there's probably half a dozen or a dozen album covers that that whole controversy could have been based upon mm. um, because that was just kind of the cheesy albums that you, you saw back in those days. Well, and what's funny now is that actually the history of the band has gotten a, a little bit mixed up because of that. What Ben says in 1992, they uh, they did this essentially 10th anniversary thing, and 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 they released an album, "Break Like the Wind," and did a tour. <laughs> and "Break Like the Wind" is strange because it contains songs that are referred to in the movie but were never seen. Uh, so so there's been it's it's this weird kind of like if you're in the continuity of Spinal Tap, it's a little bit weird <laughs> because. It's got uh, it's got songs that you didn't uh, you didn't actually hear, but were referenced by name, or the album was referenced by name, and this song is supposedly from the album. It doesn't come across as being entirely a new album from Spinal Tap, but it's sort of like some new songs from Spinal Tap and a bunch of things that you you know from the greatest hits catalog that they that they're bringing to you. And it's it's gotten so strange that um, actually the Blu-ray, the cover of the Blu-ray is the promo art from Break Like the Wind, so it's not even from 1982; it's from 1992. Uh, very, very strange uh, to keep track of sort of like what what goes where in Spinal Tap in Spinal Tap lore because they've been they decided after it became such a cult hit to go back in and sort of start coloring in you know some of the margins and filling in some of the pieces that weren't there and and I think it's kind of hard to keep track of what's what was in the movie and what's uh, all kind of like supplemental material from a decade or more later. Yeah, there's a great line from some interview with Harry Shearer in which they they talk about the popularity of Spinal Tap as a live band and he says, "Oh, it's great because every we we every every time we we, pull, we come to town, we pretend to be Spinal Tap and these like 2000 people pretend to be our fans." <laughs> and everybody has a good time. Yes. <laughs> no one gets hurt. <laughs> some people get paid. It's yeah, all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Tiny bread in the dressing room we talked about. Just it's a, it's a great scene because um, that is that Nigel. Yes, that is and Nigel he is. Tuffle, he, yes. It's a joke. It's just he's a joke. Apoplectic about 
this v- thing that can be reasoned out by a child. <laughs> but to him, the <laughs> fact that you can, you have to fold the meat, but you cannot fold the bread or it, the bread breaks is infuriating to him. And he demands, get me, get me new bread. I want large bread. I don't want this right. small. <laughs> but proper, proper size bread. So he can, well, look, would, would you eat this? Uh, that's a- but what see but it's the the one of the either the brilliant thing or maybe the oversight thing is that some of the logic you could sort of see where half the logic is like the legendary scene where where Nigel is showing Marty his his guitar collection yes and that's where and and that's where you see, you see like the the top of their martial amp that goes to 11 and where he's trying to explain well you know you need that extra push you know we've got all the way up all the way up all the way up where do you go from there nowhere so we've got you just t- we can just turn these things to 11 and marty's trying to explain well why don't you just have 10 be the top number and that that's that's the top number you just make that a little louder and it's still 10 but it's a little bit louder and you see him like just chewing gum and staring at the top and repeating these go to 11 and it and it, and it actually did take me i remember seeing it the first time say but 11 is a higher number than 10. What, what is he talking about? And then I had, I had my Nigel moment where I realized, oh, he's saying that, okay, 10 is just, 10 is not an absolute scale of loudness as, 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 as uh, certified by the Greenwich Observatory. It is just an arbitrary number that could be, okay. But it, it is, you know, this is the famous joke, our famous punchline from this movie. And um, what's amazing about it is, um, in in that one sentence that Rob Reiner says, it, the logic and illogic is completely unpacked. <laughs> it's not as if the audience is left to laugh at the ridiculousness of the fact that what you know you could just make it louder and make ten be the louder sound. But but he says the line, and it is it is really perfectly phrased that it, that <laughs> it, it encapsulates everything that that is, makes no sense about this. And all Nigel can do at that point is respond with, "But it's one louder." I've tried to explain that joke to people, and I can never do the justice of just what Rob Reiner says <laughs> that makes that ex- – without killing the joke, he explains the joke completely, yeah. and it still leads to the best line in the movie. Yeah. See, that it's it's that's why improvisational comedy like this, you have to have people who are really good at it and know what the – who get it and who know what the point is because this is a beautiful scene because part of what makes it so funny is the pauses, the silences – and when you see it being done badly, like you know, on YouTube, and people who think that they can be uh, do a Spinal Tap type movie, they no one. Anytime there is a pause, somebody wants to jump in there with this line they just thought of, as opposed to everybody t- working together to realize that oh wait no, all of us in character are trying to listen and figure out what this guy just said. It'll be funny if none of us get it. It can't be played. It mustn't be played. Don't even it's, look at it. It can't be played. I, w- I wasn't looking. I was just don't, pointing. Well, don't point at don't it. Point. This must this must <laughs> never be played. See, still got, still got the old tagger on it. And again, legendary. Right? You, you you do get the sense that there are some scenes in this movie that it's just let's write down all the legendary rock stories, like the guy who bought the right. guitar and then never played it because it was too perfect and could never right. be played, and and then just tick them off and 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 sprinkle them throughout this movie in these little tiny vignettes. And that that scene is so great. Um, <laughs> as he goes through it because the amp's in there and the guitar is in there uh, just just <laughs> great stuff so we get we get uh ian's cricket bat at one point there's a very a very strange thing where ian faith the manager explains about how useful it is that he has a cricket bat and then we're treated to a montage <laughs> where he uh pushes some things off a table and then smashes <laughs> an old tv and he yes. and he also shoved that thing into some poor kid's neck for some yes, reason gen- sort of gently <laughs> backstage <laughs> 
But you, as a manager, you have to have a crick at that. And, and and of course, because we we've all seen the outtakes, we know we know that this is actually supposed to be something something much cooler. What it was supposed to be was a, a, they did a, a whole deleted scene. This is in the same hotel room. A scene that that, that was shot like to, to take place right after there. They hear uh, cups and cakes being played on the right. radio, and they're all excited that hey, we're getting airplay. Uh, and then of course the scene ends with Harry Shearer as the DJ say, "Oh yeah, going all the way back to 1968 with the Thames with the, with the, with the Thamesman. They later changed their name to Spinal Tap. File them in the Where Are They Now file. Well, it's 4:03 in the, in the p.m. Uh, and so they're also they they all get so depressed that uh, I, uh, Ian is trying to get them all excited again, trying to get them out of their doldrums. So they suggest, "Hey, let's trash the hotel room." And so he like <laughs> knocks over the lamp. He finally he winds up like with his cricket back, trashing the hotel room himself because the others can't get ex- can't get the energy up to even like break a vase. No, they make their manager do the trashing for them. They, yeah. Yes, this is this is the this is where. Um, this is the dark turn, right? Where the, Ian's showing us the cricket bat about the time when the gigs are getting canceled left and right. We hear that they're residing in the where they know file. They take the trip <laughs> to Graceland, which leads to uh, a reference that I've got to say I use on a on a regular basis, which is they, first <laughs> off they try to sing um, Heartbreak Hotel in harmony, and it's a complete disaster because they're completely incapable <laughs> of doing it. Well, since my baby left me, no, no, no. Maybe be better if it's in the same key. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, don't don't go raga on us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ding. The the line that kills me every time is well, this puts it in perspective. Uh, too much fucking perspective. <laughs> and I, hey, we're in the presence and of I, the king. And I use that. <laughs> All the time, uh, all the time, too much. What what is a context in which you would use that? Uh, it's an example. What, what? How would you use that? Uh, it, some something bad that it, that needs to be put in perspective. It, it, it comes. You would be surprised. It comes up where where they're like, you know, and and this puts. Uh, you know, this puts the the needs of our parents as they go into nursing homes into perspective, and I say too much <laughs> fucking perspective, and that's how it works. It's every time it works. It's brilliant. Boy, I'm gonna have to do some bleeping out for this episode, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's rated R movie, folks. You you can't. There are bad words in it. Don't. You know, on that point though, on that R-rated point, you know, watching it again the other day, it's a tame R. Really? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, kind of. There, there's not, there's not really a lot of nudity. There are, there are drugs happening, but mostly in the background. Yeah, there, there is implied, right? Groupies and all of that, but it's, it is, it is. I mean, the more most horrific thing in it is the sweater that uh, Janine makes for David with the planet with the rings and the moons on it. <laughs> that is practically <laughs> X-rated because it's so horrible. But otherwise, yeah, it's pretty tame, except the language. Yeah, the, the there's some now some of the outtakes. Oh yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the outtakes, I mean, there's some some. It's a lot more decadent in the outtakes, but um, the movie itself is actually. Um, you know, there's some uh, some instances of some bad language, but for the most part, I was kind of surprised watching it again. In 1983, I think the the I mean, obviously the language puts it over the top. It would would even today, and then probably the. All of the implied drug use would have been hard for the ratings board to swallow in 1983. <laughs> Although now, by today's uh, terms, it, it is shockingly tame because if a movie like this made today would presumably have um, more obvious drug use and way more nudity 
and sex than at least implied and and hinted at and you know shown a little bit whereas there's really not it's not that kind of movie i think maybe the makers of this movie were you know tamer than their characters would be but and they did cut a lot of stuff out too yeah well, or, or or it's just that it wasn't their it's not their taste. Yeah, really. and it might not have been as I funny. Mean, and also, I think that this this is why the commentary track is so good because you know you can see how much they thought out every single sort of thing to make it to they, they knew that it would only work as comedy if it seemed like this could really be happening and so i think that it was michael mccann who was talking about things like drug use who's saying we decided that they're probably there's probably going to be some drug use but they would be shrewd enough to know that there are things i should not be doing on camera right and so that's why this document would never catch catch them doing something that's a little bit too out there right right i, I would imagine a modern version of this there would be a little more of a you know roadie roadie discovered with her her shirt off or something like that that would be gratuitously uh present but uh but you're right i mean in the the uh documentary conceit one of the tricks and obviously christopher guest went on to make a series of more uh documentary comedies fake documentary comedies you, you part of the conceit is that these are subjects that know they're being filmed and they behave accordingly so um i want to let's see what else is on my list here uh, I wanted to talk for a second about uh, Harry Shearer in general because he doesn't get as much notice and yet does some wonderful work as the befuddled Derek Smalls, who is the lukewarm water to the fire of Nigel and the ice <laughs> of David. Um, and there is no point, I think, that is greater for Harry Shearer than the rock and roll creation scene, which is also very prog rock, another prog rock number, where they come, they emerge from pods and Harry Shearer spends the entire number uh <laughs> trying to escape from his pod as a roadie hammers on it and brings a blowtorch. <laughs> and he's still playing his part as this all happens. Right. And, you know, Harry Shearer is great in this. It's such a strange part. The bass player always is kind of a peculiar part of a band. Uh, I remember in the, the a movie I like a lot, uh, uh, That Thing You Do, you know, which again is two char- characters with a in a band who've got a creative conflict. And then there's the bass player and he lives on another planet. And, and, and Harry Shearer in this movie is kind of like that. Uh, but, but so great. And the scene where he's stuck in a pod is a, is a classic because he's trying to keep it together. And he finally emerges victorious just as they leave the stage. And then he gets his arm caught in it as he tries to go back. It's great. It's just a wonderful <laughs> scene. And in general, I think uh, just a great performance by Harry Shearer. Yeah. Well, the other great thing about Shearer in this whole thing is the way he plays the bass. He plays the bass one-handed, and he's constantly throwing his hands in the air. And, and um, uh, but um, the the other scene I love with him uh, is uh, after the after the Stonehenge debacle. And, oh, yes. You, you know, and 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 they're having this intense band meeting and. And Ian blows up at them and quits in, in a huff and tells them all, you know, uh, and, and, you know, explaining his job. And do you know how hard it is to find mandolin strings in Houston or whatever? And, and, uh, <laughs> and he storms out of the room and, 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 uh, and Derek Smalls asks <laughs> yes. a practical question. May I, may, I, may I ask a practical question at this point? <laughs> what? Are we doing Stonehenge tomorrow? No, we're not doing fucking Stonehenge! <laughs> 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 but then but then you look at look at the look on his face after that oh. and he kind of raises his eyebrows and and it's sort of like okay well that goes on that, that goes on to the scene where they where janine hands out the horoscopes right and he's like well i kind of fancy <laughs> i like myself as a fish and he's just going with it he's whatever whatever he's going mm. with it 
Uh, we should talk since you mentioned Ian quitting. Um, this is the uh, maybe as close to a plot line as this movie gets, which is Janine comes and it, we have our Yoko Ono moment where uh, <laughs> Nigel is uh, enjoying touring with his friend David, and then Janine comes and ruins everything because she's got she takes him away and she's got ideas about costumes and she makes this awful sweatshirt for him and she's she wants to be the co-manager of the band which leads to ian quitting and then she wants to do all their horoscopes while she takes them to their their tour date in cleveland janine is interesting right because she is she is she just wants to help but she is no she doesn't she's awful (laughs) and she's dressed in the perfect awful 1980s regalia and she's got her her horoscopes and her bad ideas and it's <laughs> such a fantastic train wreck and the worst part is that she separates david from nigel which causes the whole thing to fall yes. apart well because because again if if they're they want to be 20 years old they weren't married when they were 20 if you p- introduce anything into this equation that wasn't there when they were 20 everything falls apart and also she she is that yoko the 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 it was great that the first the first date in which she's like she's uh, on the tour as a manager. Where is she? She's on the stage next to David St. Hubbins with a tambourine. Of oh, that, that is so fantastic <laughs> that as they're doing their terrible uh, their their terrible attempt to replace Nigel, and she's got the tambourine because yes. that was really what it was all about. And you see, and you and you see the tension there from the start. Oh, uh, she makes her first appearance on the tour bus, and that makes me want to call out another. This is a great movie for cameos. It's like little performances by people that, hey, look, there's Paul Schaefer. Hey, look, there's Bruno Kirby. Hey, look, there's Dana Carvey. In the tour bus, the computer that does the computer games on the tour bus is a is a Tandy color <laughs> computer with a chiclet keyboard. Playing a version of version of uh, of uh, uh, of missile command uh, called sub command. So how many planets have you destroyed there? It's quite, quite amazing this video magic. <laughs> another another line that comes up in my in my head like every time every time like I plug something in and there's something that's like a really nice like graphic display like a great new visualizer in iTunes. I'm always saying quite amazing this video magic. <laughs> You know, the first time we see Janine is uh, when the album is delivered, and she immediately undercuts everything that Ian is doing and says it's terrible, <laughs> and and you know this album cover should never have been done, and 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 pushes everybody's buttons until the band is kind of uh, completely destroyed. And of course, it's 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 that's the payback at the end when they go to Japan on you know after Ian asks them to reunite, and there's that last wonderful shot where. Ian is holding his cricket bat and smiling smugly as as Janine is rolling her eyes and looking disgusted in the audience. And just like reading Beautiful. a book, she's not part of this. Beautiful. But you 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 it's the, the there is a backstory there cuz remember the first time she's mentioned is when you know she, uh, she calls she calls David St. Hubbins at the at the hotel after the in the depressing scene after they after the the radio play. Uh, and that, that's when he finds out. Oh, you're, you're, I thought I thought you were doing that window display. Oh, that's, that's great. No, that's that's perfect. Well, my my life's just been just been made, mate. And talks tell, tells uh, tells Nigel about this. So Janine, she's oh. coming with us. So, well, she's she's coming just to drop off some stuff and then leave. No, no, she's going to be toying with us. Like, and just in time too, because she told me that my she, my larynx sounded fat, so she's going to be bringing <laughs> <Yeah>. me some. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> It is. I mean, that the, the relationship between David and Nigel. I mean, this is this is these guys have been together since they were little kids, 
And, mm-hmm. you know, you can see on, on Nigel's face when, when that all happens that, that yeah. he's not interested in Janine. He, he's, he's out with his buddy doing the tour. They are, uh, uh, they are a duo here. And with her in the way, it doesn't work. It's, it's your fucking wife. It's your wife. It's your fa- well, whatever the fact she is. <laughs> <laughs> She's not my wife. <laughs> you can't fucking concentrate. <laughs> oh, so great. We haven't talked about uh, a fantastic scene. And I, I mentioned earlier, I saw this movie on video uh, when I was home, I think for the summer from college. And, um, and I mentioned that I ended up on the floor crying pounding the floor and had to pause the movie because I couldn't I, I I had to get myself together. The scene that made me do that is the scene where Nigel plays a beautiful piano number for Marty Deberge. <laughs> and it's in D minor, the saddest, the saddest of, keys. of all keys. <laughs> and uh it's a cross between a Mozart and a Bach, which we would call a, a, a mock really. <laughs> But the thing that kills me is he plays this beautiful, sad little piano piece. And Marty DeBerge says at the end, well, what's it called? And he says, well, I, I call it Lick My Love Pump. Fifteen minutes, I think, I couldn't stop <laughs> laughing at that joke. Couldn't just... It's amazing I survived, frankly. <laughs> such, a great, such a great thing. And, and again, that's Christopher Guest playing the piano himself and, you know... It's got it's got that whole realism, and we built up who Nigel is, so we're surprised at this turn in his character, and see that he's got actually a little bit of musical talent, and then bang, <laughs> so great. What else do we have? Artie Fufkin, we can mention. You mentioned Paul Schaefer is in this. They go to the album signing, and there's nobody there, and Artie Fufkin from Polymer Records A and R in Cleveland, kick my ass, kick my ass. We, we saturated. We oversaturated. So, as somebody and 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 you know, Andy, I know you've done this. As somebody who has done public speaking before, and and has <laughs> done like a, appearances at events and things, the I, I, what, first time I watched this, I'd never done anything like that, uh, you know, or at least not enough to have the have it be um, something that resonated with me. This time when I watched the movie, I'm like, oh my god, that is that is my worst nightmare. That is my <laughs> fear. It's like, all right, I'm gonna show up. You you want me to come speak? I'm going to fly halfway across the country and I'm going to go and you say you think you okay? I'll go and do my thing and you get there and there's like two guys. You think I came all this way for a whole, you know, 3 days to get here and all of this and you're paid for my room and nobody shows up. And and here it is. This is the nightmare. Nobody nobody oh, yeah. wants to buy smell the glove for 5.99, by the way, if you've noticed it's Five ninety nine. Yes, I, I I had had exactly that experience. Someone was someone was trying to produce like a show that was kind of like going to be like like CE like a, a, a touring version of CES, and they got David Pogue, they got me, they got like a whole bunch of huge names. Like uh, we were in like really big pay or pay pay or play contracts, and like mine involved how many days a hotel, how much the fee, and so first time in. Uh, <laughs> I got I got to I got to talk about this because huge huge convention center with maybe a hundred people coming. Yeah, <laughs> and they'd made they'd made all these commitments. They couldn't like just cancel it, so we all flew out there. I spoke to there. There is a uh, I, I spoke to two people. <laughs> I remember that quite oh. clearly, and I and I had and because this was going to be like a tour sort of thing, I'd actually like spent a lot of time putting together a very complicated like hour long slide deck, and then I suddenly remembered the 
best piece of speaking advice anybody had ever given me that you, whenever you take the stage, have $20 in your pocket, count the number of people there. If, you, if there's enough people there, you can just take all of them out to get it and buy them each a beer. Do that instead of going through a slide deck. But yes. And and, and, and there are and there are these Artie Fufkin types where you, where you just – will you just stop apologizing? Yeah. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be almost okay if you just said, okay, no one showed up. Oh, well. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting the chills because this I mean this has happened. Th- this has not happened to me to the point of it being two people, but it's happened to me where where we've I've been on a panel that outnumbered the audience. It's not good. <laughs> Why don't we take you one on one? You know, we'll do it. Just everybody yes. pick one of us, and we'll go have a beer. And yeah, right. Because because you know that well see at least we did better than that uh, than, than that record signing nobody because... was at the record signing <laughs> exactly we just we saturated we oversaturated I, that's my that's timing. my timing. timing that's right it's timing I got terrible timing I got terrible timing terrible timing terrible timing and also and you, you and you know that Paul Schaefer like he it was even it was eighty two but you know that he he's been like like rock and roll in the music business as like a session player as a studio player for like ten years you know that he was basing that off of a hundred Artie Fufkins that he knows personally who are exactly like that and, and at this point Paul Schaefer was known uh not as, not as David Letterman's band leader because that was the Letterman show started in February of eighty two but. Um, but as uh, 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 he made appearances in the band on Saturday Night Live, and including uh, some 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 bits, some sketches about the music industry. So, you know, that's that's why right. they plucked him for this for this part. Plus, he's really funny. It's a great bit. And and you, and you check out like every bit of his his costume is perfect. Where you know, of course, he went out. He made sure that he bought like a Spinal Tap T shirt and a Spinal Tap satin tour jacket because he wants to make sure the band knows that he's a fan of them because he has right. the T shirt. Oh God, perfect. Oh, it's so great. So they're in Cleveland, so we have to at least uh, say the extended joke where they're uh they can't find the stage, which is again apparently based on um based on real events for bands where they've left to go out to the stage and been in, unable to find it. And they find this wonderful guy in a boiler room who tries to give them very complicated <laughs> directions and they they nod and and say rock and roll and they leave and they end up right back at the guy again. <laughs> yep. Huh. I think I think it was based on a Docu- document they're, they're, in the commentaries are talking about a documentary in which that is like that is exactly what happens or at least this guy's walking around backstage and he sees a door he opens the door and he finds himself like on a tennis court <laughs> <laughs> like that that seems to be attached somewhere to the stage complex <laughs> and just being bewildered that how the hell did i wind up in a tennis court the guy in the boiler room also has a great line where where it's uh you'll see a door that says authorized personnel only you're authorized right you've got the you've got the instruments it's like <laughs> yes. oh that's right with the, with the band. <laughs> right. well, hello, Cleveland, <laughs> and it is actually Cleveland, which is nice because they could also. That's a famous thing that isn't in this movie. In this movie, where bands have said hello to the wrong city <laughs> and gotten booed. Oh, <laughs> uh, we talked about we talked about Janine because this is the point in the movie where she says that she feels the album was mixed all wrong and should have been used. Uh, they should have used Dobley. Um, and then and then what drives Ian, um, I think, is the Stonehenge incident. So Stonehenge. Famous. <laughs> Nigel writes down on a piece of paper uh, a, a Stonehenge statue and makes the mistake of using the two tick marks for inches instead of one tick mark for feet. A very esoteric bit to be used in a comedy routine. And yet, so great because, uh, and uh, speaking of cameos, Angelica Houston, as the sculptor, presents Ian with a 16-inch <laughs> statue. And he's aghast, right? And we cut away. 
and what what I find interesting about that scene, I mean, it's hilarious, right? That it comes down and the the dwarf is <laughs> in danger of crushing the statue. Oh well, you 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 left out one of my one of my favorite lines. Uh, just in 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 my one of my favorite movies, which is just no. I was given this this sketch, this napkin. No, fuck this, fuck the napkin. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I I've just I I almost want I, I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it, but I should do a Google search right now. There must be a, like a hundred local bands called Fuck the Napkin. <laughs> so, so <laughs> if there isn't, then somebody should start a band and call it that, and I will buy their ten inch EP. So what's great is we see Ian being so furious about this, and we think, well, Ian's going to do something about it, right? But he do- which sets us up for the shock of it not being fixed and coming down. But what's also interesting because this is how this is Ian's ticket out. This is where he basically is so fed up that he's going to go. He decides to be a jerk about it. He looks on with glee as this happens. He knows this is going to happen. Right. And, and remember, he he has the option of not putting that thing right. on the stage, right? But he goes with it. And you think and you think that on on on, on, on every other point, I think that he's like relishing the thought of look i've got the napkin that says that i do what you guys tell me if this tour is disastrous because i'm doing what you're telling me to do <laughs> yeah yeah he he decides that he's going to be a jerk uh he's going to set it all up he's going to refuse to take responsibility he's going to blame it on you wrote it on the uh, on the napkin wrong i'm just here to do what you tell me right yeah. and that <laughs> no, 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 no. oh it's uh, and he could have gone the other way and that it's i did but not just <laughs> well you're not as confused as nigel are you <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh and that's how i mean that's really the end for 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 him and he, and he goes out but it's fascinating that that's that's that it's that moment in between in the gaps the way, way the way the editing works where you see him and he is outraged he is acting like a good manager and then whether because he's just he can't take it anymore or he realizes there's nothing he can do and these people are idiots or maybe he just thinks well i'll make the best of it and see what happens whatever it is uh, he makes some decisions and then refuses to take any responsibility for those decisions after Stonehenge, uh, the very tiny yeah. Stonehenge statue. And you know what can you say about that actual bit? It is, uh, it is one of the great uh, visual <laughs> jokes of uh, of of movies. I think the the lowering of yeah. the incredible. When I t- first heard about this movie, actually the first thing I heard about it was Stonehenge in college when people were talking about this movie that I hadn't uh, seen, and it was all about yeah. the scene where the Stonehenge. They're like, I didn't even know what they were talking about at first. It was like, oh, Stonehenge. Ha, ha. I'm like, what about Stonehenge? They're like, well, it's tiny, and they dance around. Oh, okay, and and that's what <laughs> stuck with people because it's such a great visual joke. So great. You know, to this day, to this day, I still don't know who the Druids were or what they were doing. <laughs> You've got to have that pause. Or what they were doing. But still the don't legacy know. lives on Hume, <laughs> within the living rock Stone of Stonehenge. And you, and you just, it's, it's almost as if Nigel is now completely, in this moment, is disassociated with reality. Because inside his mind, this is a 12,000 seat oh, yeah. arena. Everybody is mem- mesmerized. Their minds are blown oh, yeah. by this mystical creation that he has put on this stage. And even if they had managed to produce an 18 foot high Stonehenge monument, it would only have made the thing look even sadder well the, the, i mean like i said it's this genesis it's this genesis moment right but where it's this prog rock <laughs> oh i'm wearing a you know with peter gabriel it's like i'm wearing a fox's head on my head and i made up like a, I, what <laughs> huh but but what is great about the song stonehenge is that it is so fantastic in its uh nonsensical nature it, it, it is literally like everything you 
that you think is historically something that you could throw in there, but none of it is actually right and it's all just sort of shoveled in and you know they're the demons and the banshees and they do they live, do live well. well and the children dance to the pipes of pan and then the bridge is is just as nonsensical because it's like a romantic bridge and you my love won't you take my hand we'll go back in time to this mystic land it it is so fantastic in how terrible it is it's amazing it is it's like if you read the lyrics if you think about stonehenge it is it is a tour de force of terribleness it's like a you know what it is it's like a ronnie james dio song <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some Ronnie James. I, mean, I Dio. love Ronnie James Dio, but but those lyrics, some of his lyrics, which, I mean, where the dew drop, where the dew drops, cry the and the meow. cats meow. For yeah. God's sake, we, we, we do go. It does take us. It, it takes us right back to being fourteen years old. The things you think are this is so the clever. most mind blowing, <gasps> awesome thing that anybody has ever written, and I have written it. I can't wait for to put this in front of an audience so they will acknowledge what a genius I what, are. What do you mean the druids didn't build Stonehenge? <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the actors who Christopher Guest used in uh, many of his later mockumentaries that he made is Fred Willard, who makes a wonderful appearance here where they, the gig in Seattle gets canceled, but they get scheduled on an airbase. And this is the moment where Nigel can't take it anymore, and he, and he walks off. But this, this, again, is a wonderful little coll- collection of scenes, and Fred Willard has this great line about how he's big fan, and they're all big fans of your work and your albums – I speak not of you in specific, but more the general genre of rock and roll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are we getting into here? <laughs> this is. Let, let me let me let you know. Let me tell you what this is all about. This is our monthly at ease yeah. weekend in which we all get to sort of let our hair down. I notice that you've kind of gotten a head uh, start on me. <laughs> I've let mine grow a little I'm long kidding, too. Of huh? course. <laughs> <laughs> well, now uh, we'd like to get the music started at uh, oh, oh, 1500 hours, and then uh, if you could wrap is it that, up by oh, 1530 50, hours. 1500 50 hours from now? <laughs> that, that's about 45 hours minutes from now. To- <laughs> And, and and they're like, and play a couple slow songs so we can dance to it. Cut, smash cut to <laughs> Sex Farm. Working on a sex farm, trying to raise some hard love. Again, the lyrics. You listen to the lyrics. <laughs> Poking through your bean fields, leaving my seed. <laughs> Getting out my pitchfork, poking your hay. It, it's it's a very sophisticated it take is. on sex, yes. on, on but a farm. it happens to be on yeah. a farm. Yeah. Ring the bell. <laughs> there you go. It is... It is again. I'm praising these songs for for how terrible they are. Sex Farm is not. It's not in the high level of terribleness of of Stonehenge. Stonehenge is so ambitiously terrible, uh, you know. But again, they're trying to cover the gamut of terrible songwriting here. And Sex Farm is so delightfully <laughs> adolescent and attempting to make sexual, uh, clever sexual references that are not remotely <laughs> clever. It's so great. It's so great. And so awful at the same time. And that's, again, something I said at the beginning. One of the reasons that this movie works, and I think why some people thought that it was real, is that the music performances are real. And they made sure that the yeah. in the commentary tracks and in the documentaries, you can the real documentary about the movie, you can see um, they tried to get all of the musicianship right. They were really upset if the fingering on the guitar was not matching what they were playing. So it feels real. And to have these songs be fully realized and terrible is 
I think that's one of the things that really holds the movie together. There are lots of funny jokes, but the fact that this music is there and real and they they commit to it fully really makes it. And I was reminded of that as I laughed and <laughs> laughed again at the the song that I've heard a million times, Sex Farm. But w- when you're in the moment, it is so terrible. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and the context of at the at the Air Force base with the people aghast looking on very almost a springtime for Hitler moment there too as they watch this performance but 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 see how see how far they went in to make this happen there are two scenes that preceded it that while he, while he's giving the demo while Nigel Tufnell is give, is showing off his guitar collection he has to show off oh well, there's my there's my yes. radio mic so that I can walk all well, then in another scene like the the same scene in which he finds out that Janine is coming to visit he has to be seen playing the guitar that he winds up smashing yep. on stage so that, that that so they we, we established that in the continuity and of course it's the one it's probably the one guitar that we've seen so far that is not a really expensive mm-hmm. really great guitar like it's, it's not going to be the less less paul gold top. I, I laughed at the it's uh, this cheap guitar Sears guitar. i laughed at the explain explanation of a wireless guitar that it is not connected to anything it's just it, it's by wire wireless <laughs> pretty much all like that now it's kind of funny but at the time it's like oh this is the wireless guitar why do you have that well we've got a gag where <laughs> where the air force signals come in and then he smashes the guitar but that's it so so and that's the end of spinal tap right they they uh he he, he quits the band and david would be sure to be much more upset if he wasn't under such heavy sedation yes Thing. Well, just, you know, look at all the people who've been in and out of this band. I mean, Stumpy yeah. Peeps went away, and then Scottish Bay went and, away. You know, Mar- and Marty DeBerge yeah. won't have anything. You can't be comparing him to those other yes. people. 37 people have been in this band <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I just so so we we get the uh, we get the trip to Stockton, California, to the puppet show and Spinal Tap, which is which is a great which which is a great moment because um, and my wife noticed this and, and pointed it out and I and, and I think it's a great point that um, this movie is committed enough to the realism of being in a band that they go over the set list and realize there's almost nothing they can play. Well, that's a, that's a cozy. <laughs> Either because Nigel wrote it, or because they need Nigel to play on it. And in fact, when we see them in L.A. at the in, in their last tour for tonight, I'm going to rock you tonight. Uh, Harry Shearer is singing the harmony part, and he's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so that even there, we have the realism of the fact that this is a band that is not actually capable of functioning without without Nigel. So they do the jazz odyssey and the reformation of Spinal Tap. There's, a, there's, a, you know, there's, a, there's only, there's only one. Also, again, they're, they're not in the present. They're not in the now. So when they say, well, you know, that, that leaves us with a cozy 12 minutes. Well, you know what we're going to have to do? Jazz well, Odyssey. Jazz Odyssey. And then da- then St. Hubbins' reaction is has to is not like in reality. It's like, uh, we, we can't play a 22-minute like jazz 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 fusion in front of a festival crowd. It just simply won't work. Like, no, you're in a puppet show theater. Yeah. You're not at Astonbury. It's like- yeah, it, it's – and it's – um. <laughs> And yet the, the the 30 hardcore Spinal Tap fans who have come to see them then boo them, and there's the great shot of the guy putting his thumb down. Yeah. That's my favorite little thing. Because <laughs> they betrayed Spinal Tap at that point. Even the fans yeah. are against this new direction. Right. That- Oh. <laughs> well, and, and, and one of my favorite throwaway lines for the entire thing, like when they cut into that scene, like they're preparing the set list, like the uh, Mick is saying, I've got this Mendocino rocket fuel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had no idea what Mendocino rocket fuel could possibly be. <laughs> I, I, I imagine it was a drug reference, but you are witnessing Spinal Tap Mark Two. 
The rebirth, the rebirth of Spinal with Tap Janine on tambourine. <laughs> yeah. So bad. So they end at the end of end of the tour party, which seems awfully uh, nice given what we've seen up to now. You get the sense that yeah. it was probably um, scheduled in advance, and there is actually a line where somebody says, well, I'm, "I'm kind of surprised that you know people turned out for this <laughs> up here on a rooftop <laughs> in L.A." Um, and uh, and and uh, then they Nigel appears before their gig. After, after you know, David and uh, uh, oh, and Derek are, are talking about, uh, as I said earlier, the dreams of other things that they could do with their lives. But yes. but then Nigel appears with a message from Ian. Um, oh yes, the other dead man. Who, who? the other dead man? Um, <laughs> saying Sex Farm is on the charts in Japan, which is such a great thing. Sex Farm is on the charts in Japan. Um, which leads to that wonderful, crazy moment where. I mean, there, when Nigel says, have a good show, right? But the, it's that moment of like, they miss each other. He misses him. Yeah. And and so you get that wonderful thing where where uh, Nigel is invited on stage in the middle. of it's, it's a rock and roll fantasy, right? And there happens to be a guitar right there that he can pick up and play. And, yep, yep. and, 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 then, and then the drummer explodes. <laughs> and they go to Japan. <laughs> Yay, happy ending for everybody but the drummer. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's a that, that's that was one of the real false notes about this movie for me. How the I, reconciliation that you have two that you know that you have two drummers. Yeah, hap- combust happens, spontaneously. It happens all the time. I know dozens of times a year. Come on, no bell for that either. Jesus Christ, Andy. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Um, Bring your own fit. bell. I'm, 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 I get right. to I'll get to it. I'm I'm listening I'm listening thoughtfully no. to your commentary. No, so, all right, You're so, upset no, that I'm so, listening thoughtfully. How many drummers you you've gone through you've burned through I'm only as God made me so. <laughs> <laughs> you were quick on the bell for that one, didn't you? Completely out of we context. You didn't even mention him. That, that's uh Bened- <laughs> Paul, Paul Benedict. Ben- oh. Paul Benedict. The mad painter from Sesame Street, you all know. Yes, from. and of course the neighbor on the Jeffersons. <laughs> So what you're saying, Ben, is that is that one drummer dying of spontaneous human combustion is one thing, but to to have a second, but, but do two, it. Uh, that that to me that pushed the the boundaries of suspending my disbelief. I was sad that we didn't see more of Ed Begley Jr. as the original drummer, but he died in peeps, a, yes. a bizarre gardening accident, bizarre and they felt that it was accident. best not to investigate it further. It's best to leave yeah. it unsolved. Yeah. Unsolved. I, I, I do see your point, Ben. Because they, they, they shouldn't have repeated. They should have come up with some sort of brand new way for him to die. But it would have been difficult to fu- to kill him in like in twelve frames of footage <laughs> in a way that would have communicated. And they instead had already set up the thing about spontaneous human combustion. So right. Okay. Again, uh, underlining that people do die of spontaneous combustion all the time. It's just not always you know. Yeah. Quite so widely, not so widely reported. But they could have, I suppose, had like a light, a light standard or something, just land on the stage, and then they cut to Japan. True, it would be dark and yet kind of funny that they just keep on going on because it's just another drummer, just another yes. drummer. <laughs> They're interchangeable. That's the uh, that's the end of my notes, and that's the end of the movie. There are a lot of funny things that are sort of cut from uh, from uh, different interview segments that run over the credits. Some of which are very funny, and some of which are very strange. Mm-hmm. Yes, and another one of my favorite lines, you know, well, the the the, the new drummer is like, so long as I find that, so long as I can get the sex and the drugs, I don't really need yeah. the rock and roll, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes. So uh, you know that, and that's the movie. It is it is a tight ninety minute 
movie, and they did exercise a lot of uh, a lot of care in cutting all of this other footage out and and finding the core of the movie that that you know people uh, that is a cult movie to this day. I mean, it's not I think at the level of of something like The Princess Bride, at least in geek circles. But this is one of those movies that is is still uh, incredibly popular uh, to be quoted and it, and you sh- it shows up on lists of funniest movies of all time and you know it's uh, and it's kind of amazing i didn't come to this before it was a cult hit i came to it after it was a cult hit but i see why it is and it is it's on my list of 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 the funniest movies of all time for certain and th- i mean that's why i took it in our movie draft too is it's definitely in my in my top 10 and i've seen it a, a million times and it doesn't really get old it, it holds up really 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 well um even even with some of the you know the terrible hair and uh, you know the terrible hair is terrible is timeless and- <laughs> <laughs> Je- the, the, the Janine's outfit that that outfit that she and what does he say that she looks like I'm not co-managing the band with you or any woman especially one that dresses like an Australian's there. nightmare so fuck you <laughs> goodbye yeah that is that is a spectacular outfit that she is wearing there it's amazing it's amazing no it 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 holds up i I was surprised i didn't buy the blu-ray for a while and when we were going to do this episode i bought i I broke down and i bought bought the blu-ray i thought this this movie was shot in 16 millimeter what can they do but i don't know whether they um did a a rehab on the print or did some digital work to it or whatever for a previous for a previous dvd release and then but but they had the hd source or what but the hd uh, it actually does look really good. They did. Uh, I think it eked out any, every last bit of detail that is available in that film, but mm-hmm. it looks good. And uh, you know, for a movie that was shot on sixteen millimeter for not a huge budget in L.A., doubling for every city ever, um, it it looks pretty good. It sounds good. The musical numbers sound great. They, you know, it 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 all of that holds up. And then you're watching a group of of idiots and they're kind of lovable idiots but you're watching a group of idiots do dumb things and you know what stupid rock and roll stars doing dumb things and having raging egos and i mean that 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 never goes out of style the the names change and the genres change but you know that's like that's a constant i don't see a learning progression in pop stars you know it doesn't happen there's a saying that what whatever kind of clothes you wore when you felt as though your life was at its greatest, you will never change your style beyond that point. And the same is true for, I think, for rock stars, that the, whatever their lives were when they were at their absolute commercial peak and, and, and society peak, that's where they will freeze their perceptions of themselves and their fames for the rest of their lives. And so that, and since that's such a constant, and every single year it seems as though we mint a brand new generation of people who aren't aware that that one hit they had in 1997 ain't never happening yeah. again. <laughs> well, this has been great. This has been a lot of fun. I was I was hoping to do this, and I I realized that episode 111 would be the right time to do it. So I'm glad we could do it. Um, and I'm glad you guys could join me for it. So un- until our next episode, I do want to thank my guests personally and by name. Uh, ben Boychuk, um, you can't really dust for vomit. I wasn't going to say this earlier, but this whole incomparable thing is kind of a fad. Yeah. <laughs> when you've loved and lost like Merlin Mann has, you know what love's about. <laughs> and Andy and Otko, 
Sex Farm is on the charts in Japan. <laughs> the hostess with the mostest. You know, you know. <laughs> how, so did you keep track? How many how many bell rings, roughly? I don't know, but let's... Uh, Polish off the rest of that yeah. bottle. That's not going to be good. Anybody who's playing the incomparable go. drinking game has passed out, like Bruno Kirby in that extra scene. <laughs> now that's music. <laughs> that's goddamn music. So until next time on The Incomparable. Hello, Cleveland! Have a good time. All the, All time. the time. All the time. What size hat do you wear? <laughs> I, I think we've I'm got that. Shop. I think we've got that. <laughs> Do, do, do you think you'd be happy doing that? Uh, I don't know. What are the hours? <laughs> These go to 111. <laughs> <laughs>